you would please open your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew. We are in chapter 13. Jesus, you'll recall, is speaking in parables to the crowds. And beginning in verse 24, we continue the study of this, which is God's Word. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then, gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Jesus was speaking to the crowd in parables, and they didn't understand it. Well, that's exactly what God had said long before would be the case. 
The more you know, the more you're responsible for. And God knew exactly what it would take in order for us to be redeemed. If Jesus had not died on the cross, no one could be saved. It's not like, well, he could still save the good people. There aren't any. Don't kid yourself. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need a Savior. And so Jesus didn't come into the world risking rejection. Jesus came into the world to die. And so as he's speaking to the crowds, he's telling them the truth. But most of them, it's just right over their head. Right over their head. Many years ago, when I pastored in Atlanta, uh, there were some people who were really upset by some of the things that I was saying. For example, in the first month or so that I was there, I was preaching, I guess it was the first few months, I started when I got there, on Sunday nights, preaching through the book of Romans. And uh, we started in John's Gospel in the morning service. We started Romans in the evening service. We started Genesis on Wednesday night. So I'm preaching through Romans on Sunday night, and we got to some stuff in Romans where it sounds as if God is the one who does the saving and that he's the one who does the choosing. And I just preached what it said in the scriptures. But this one fellow came to me after the service and he said, what you preached tonight was not Baptist. This is a Baptist church and that was not Baptist. And this church is not big enough for the two of us and I'm not going anywhere. And I said, well, thank you for coming to tell me how you feel because there may well have been other people who felt the same way, but didn't do the courtesy of coming to speak to me about it. So thank you for expressing your feelings. I'd love to get together and talk with you. Well, he left, and I called him at home, and I said, I just wanted to thank you again for speaking to me about this. I'd love to talk with you some more. Could you have breakfast tomorrow morning? He said, no, I've got to catch the red eye tomorrow morning. I said, well, what about the next day? Well, okay, I, I can do that. I said, fine, we'll meet for breakfast. So we did. And I said to him, please tell me what you think I said that was so upsetting to you. And he said, well, you said this. And I said, no, actually, I didn't say that. Go back and listen to the tape. I did not say that. Well, you said this. And I said, no, actually, I didn't say that. Well, you said this. And I said, actually, no. That's not what I said either. And he said, well, what did you say? And I said, well, I'll be happy to discuss that over breakfast, but let me ask you some questions. And I proceeded to ask him, do you believe that man is essentially a sinner or that man is basically good? He said, well, we're all sinners. I said, okay. And, and do you believe that um, we are uh, chosen by God for, by God for salvation based on something good in us? 
Well, we have to choose him. I said, oh, not going there yet. Does God's gift of salvation depend on something good in us? Or do some really bad people get saved and some really nice people not get saved? And he said, well, God saves all kinds of people. I said, okay, well, let me ask you something else. You believe everybody's going to be saved? Everybody's going to go to heaven? Or is it just some? Oh, well, just some. Not everybody's going to heaven. And I said, I walked him through basically the things that he and I should agree on, and we agreed. I said, I don't have any argument with you. And I said, and if you believe those things, you really shouldn't have any argument with me. And we talked a little more, and it became very clear that he had not heard what I had said, but he had heard some stuff I didn't say. When I said this, he heard this. Well, I continued to just preach through the scriptures and when we would have membership classes at that church, I would talk about the difference between Arminian theology and Reformed theology, and I would say most Baptists take one from column A and two from column B, and you know they, they don't try and even analyze the fact that those don't fit together. You've either got this or you've got this, or you've got something that you can't really reconcile. And some people found that very helpful, and some people found that totally boring, and some people found that really upsetting. Now, because God was blessing the church in other ways, and I've got a wonderful wife and kids, people were nice and they wanted me to stay, but I remember one of my good friends that I'd known since before I was in that church coming up to me in the parking lot, and he said, Jim, I just got to tell you, it sounded as if you're saying this. And I said, yes, that is what I'm saying. And he said, no, you don't believe that. And I said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, no, you don't. And he got in his car and drove off. <laughs> now, eventually, as he studied systematic theology, he began to see that the scriptures say some things that a lot of people miss. It's just zing, zing. And he actually began to teach systematic theology in that church because it was helpful. But one of the young adults in that church, dear guy, I knew him from the time he was junior high age. He goes through high school. He goes off to college. He feels called to ministry. He goes to seminary, and while he's in seminary, he begins to discover some of these biblical doctrines that I was trying to teach in a biblical way, not trying to teach this system, but trying to just help folks believe what the Scripture says. And when he saw these things for the first time, he was really upset, and he came home for the holidays, and he told his parents, how could I have been in this church all these years? I know Jim Wood believes the Bible. But he said, how could I be in this church all these years? And nobody ever told me this. And his parents said, 
What do you mean nobody ever told you? That's what Jim got in trouble for preaching here. Now, don't think I got run off by that church. I didn't. But there were people who loved me in spite of what I was saying, not because of what I was saying. And he could not believe. They said, you went through the membership class with us. Don't you remember he talked about this? He said, no, I didn't get any of it. That's what was happening here. Jesus is speaking in parables, and the crowd's like, wow, you know, that's he's so, so interesting, so fascinating. Just love his word pictures. But they didn't know what it meant. They didn't get it. Some of you get it. Some of you, zing, zing, zing. What do you, what do, you do? If you want to get it, you do what we did right before I got up here. You pray. You say, Lord, help me to hear your voice. When I study the scriptures, help me to know what you say. Open my eyes to see the truth. I've been studying God's word since I was a kid. I haven't been a kid in a long time. But I still learn things. I still see things. Because God's word is simple enough that a child who wants to know God can learn what he needs to know. But it is rich enough and deep enough that you can study it year after year. You can memorize chapter after chapter and you'll still see new things. You never saw that before. How did I, how did I miss that? I've taught this chapter, but I never saw that before. You will never stop learning if you want to know the truth. And it's not because the truth changes. God never contradicts himself. It's not, oh yeah, I used to believe uh, what it said in this book over here in the Bible, but now I've read this book and so now I don't believe that. No, it, it all fits together. It is 66 books that make up this one book. This is God's Word. It's not just a book that contains God's Word. Yes, there are um, a number of things in there that I think really are, are uh, very important for mankind. I mean, of course, I don't believe the whole thing. I mean, you know, that stuff about like Jonah getting swallowed by a big fish, all that stuff, I don't, you know... little girl was dismayed to hear her teacher saying that he didn't believe the story of Jonah and the great fish. And she said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. He said, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? And she said, well, then you can ask him. I like that little girl. <laughs> How can you possibly say that you believe in God, but you don't believe what he says? God speaks truth. But sometimes he speaks truth in a way that 
not everybody gets it. And sometimes the reason people don't get it is because they're behaving like little children. No, 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 no. Okay? Eyes closed, ears covered, making noise. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know it. But you know, if you want to know the truth, you'll know the truth. God promises that. If with all your heart you truly seek me, you will ever surely find me. Guaranteed. By God. If you want to know the truth, you can know. So Jesus told a story about a garden where a man sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and as they grew, it became apparent, this is wheat, but that's not. And so the question of his servants was, what should we do? Should we pull up the weeds? I would have said, yes, do it soon before they get any bigger. The owner said, no, wait till the harvest. It'll be dealt with in the end. Jesus said that's the way it's going to be. At the end of the age, it'll all be sorted out. When the judgment comes, there's not going to be any concern, any question about, you know, well, who's who? The Bible says the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord flee from iniquity. God knows. I can't look at people. Sometimes I have a pretty good clue. But, but I can't look at people and just say, yes, that person is going to heaven for sure. Oh, that person is going to hell. I know it. No, I don't know. They're false teachers, false prophets, false brethren. Ananias and Sapphira in the early church came and looked like they were doing a great thing because they said, we sold a field and this is how much money we got and we want to donate it to the church. But they were lying about how much they'd gotten for the field. They didn't have to sell it. They didn't have to give the money when they did sell it. The thing they got in trouble for was not for keeping back part of the money. It was for pretending that they were giving it all when they knew they weren't and they had no intention of it. They were lying to the church and thereby lying to God the Holy Spirit. And it cost them their lives. Well, they, were, you know, they shouldn't have done that. You're right, they shouldn't. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Really? Really? Don't be phony. Don't pretend. Well, is, is that a bad song? We shouldn't sing that song? You shouldn't sing that song unless that's the cry of your heart that you want to surrender everything to him. How often do I need to do that? I would say throughout the day, okay? You don't have to sing it out loud, but that needs to be something that repeatedly you're saying, Lord, I'm yours. 
you're in charge. I want to do your will. Let me tell you, between two and three in the morning, I was saying that, okay? If I'm awake in the night, I want to talk to God. And I want to remind myself as I speak to him that I belong to him. I'm his. He can do what he wants with me. If I need to stay awake for a while and pray for people, that's fine. I would really like to get to sleep some more. And I tell him that. I say, it would be really nice if I could go back to sleep. And I did eventually. But let me tell you something. My time belongs to him. Because my life belongs to him. And if I'm thinking I'm going to do this, and God says, no, I want you to do this, I need to do what he says, not say, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. I've got other plans. I've told you all stories about some of the times when God has called me up short and reminded me that I work for him. He didn't work for me. Jesus said it's all going to get straightened out in the end. The wheat and the tares going to be separated. Now, if, if you try to get too many lessons out of this parable, you'd make a mistake. For one thing, a lot of us believe that whether it's before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation, the church is going to get caught up to be with the Lord, because the Bible promises that. And uh, we're looking forward to that happening. And a lot of us would like for it to happen before the great tribulation. There is tribulation going on around the world right now. okay? But there is a great tribulation that is coming that will be unprecedented. Never been that bad before. That's, that's coming. You, you, don't, you don't get to vote on whether or not it's going to happen. Sometimes people will say to me, well, Pastor, don't you think we need to uh, take action to try and stop this? Because this is just you know, leading us toward the, the Antichrist. I say, are you thinking that if we organize properly and take action, we can stop what God says is going to happen from happening? Is that what you're thinking? Oh, no, I guess not. It says here that the first... He commands at the harvest, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And when Jesus explains what that means, he says at the end of the age, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it'll be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. That does not sound like uh, the rapture of the church, does it? That sounds like a situation where the bad people are getting harvested out first. That doesn't fit at all with what I understand over here. Well, the nature of a parable is that it's not making this point, this point, this point, this point, this point. The nature of a parable is that between now and the end, you get one main point. Between now and the end, when the judgment comes, 
there's going to be a lot of mixing of those who are the Lord's people and those who are sons of the devil. And if you don't think that some people are just flat serving the devil, then your eyes have not been opened. Or perhaps you're one of the ones who is. Because I'll tell you, Jesus says there are two options. And he says to people in his day who were very religious, your sons are your father the devil. Boy, I mean to tell you, that, that is, that's the kind of talk that can get you killed. And it did. It did. But it's the truth. So, Jesus not only tells the parable of the weeds, but he tells them two other stories. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Tiniest seed you've got. But you plant it and it grows into something that no one would have anticipated. Grows into the largest of the garden plants, enough to be considered a tree that the birds can come and be in. Wow. And then he tells, comparing the kingdom at this point, to yeast, that a woman takes this little, little stuff and she works it into a large thing of dough and it totally changes the nature of the dough. Now, usually when yeast is spoken of in Scripture, it's not a positive thing. But you know what? There's one point to a parable. And the point is, you can't see, once you mix that yeast into the dough, you can't see the yeast. It's not like, well, you know, yeah, there's some yeast right there. No, it gets worked into the dough. But it totally transforms everything. Do you know what? If you were to study history, really study it, not get indoctrinated by a bunch of people who don't know their head from the hole in the ground, but if you were to actually study history, you would find that wherever biblical Christianity has gone forth, it has transformed society. Do you know why we have literacy on the scale that we do in the West? And it should be better. But the reason we do is because Western civilization, beginning with the Reformation, said that people needed to be able to read so they could learn this book. That was the idea. We want our kids to be able to read so that they can read God's Word for themselves. Now, there were forces at work, even in Western civilization, saying, no, they don't need that. They don't need that. Well, let's keep the Bible in a language that they won't understand, even if they do learn to read English. But God's people said, no. We want everybody to be able to read for themselves what God says, to know for themselves what God says. I want you to listen to me when I'm speaking, but I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to hear what I say and then go check it out. Is that really what it says? How do I know if what Pastor Wood's saying is true? I'm so glad you asked. Go to God's word. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. Believe what he says. 
And if you find something in the Scriptures that contradicts what I'm saying, please come tell me. Because it's possible that you've either misunderstood what I'm saying or that you've misunderstood what God's Word says. But if it turns out that I've misunderstood what God's Word says and you get it right, I'm not going to say, leave me alone. I'm going to say, thank you. I've never seen that before. You know, one of the people who's done that in my life is my son, Andrew. Andrew went off and learned Greek really well. I studied Greek terribly. Dropped it. Okay? Then he learned Hebrew really well. It gives him a decided advantage over the old man. Because he can actually go back and read what it says in the original languages from which we have translations of the English. So he has pointed out to me certain things that I had overlooked or in one case flat out misunderstood. And the reason was because I believed what I was taught in seminary. You know, what does this passage mean? Well, it means this. So I was like, well, that, that sounds good. And he knows the languages. And then Andrew comes along and it's like, well, why this and not that? And I'm like, huh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> really? And it turns out he was absolutely right. I was absolutely not right. We don't want to say wrong, but I was wrong. I was wrong. So I said, well, we can't let anyone know this. No. No. If you want to know the truth, you love the truth. And if you love the truth, you want to know the truth. So guess what? There's stuff for us to learn. But if you're really going to learn it, you've got to start out understanding that this is God's Word and therefore it is to be believed. As many have said, this book is not to be edited by us. This book edits us. So, Jesus says the kingdom is going to work its way through absolutely transforming as it goes. I've known now quite a few people who grew up in an environment where atheism was the official position of a government that wouldn't tolerate any competition. Soviet Union, China, satellite countries of those. And guess what? God's Word still permeated. God's Word worked its way through and that's why right now in China, for example, there's such persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is persecution of our brothers and sisters there. Because the government 
is trying harder and harder and harder to stop what God is doing. A number of reports suggest that right now the place where the church is growing the fastest per capita is Iran. The Iranian government is militant, radical Muslim government. And you are not free to be a Christian. The people keep getting saved. Things are happening like people seeing visions, having dreams, being told that they need to read the New Testament. You know what? God's saving people. Well, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. Well, you believe in electricity? Well, yes, of course. What if you didn't? Well, <laughs> you know, that'd be really stupid. Yeah, and if you don't believe that God is working miracles in order to save people, you're being really stupid. Because the people who are reporting that are people who've put their lives on the line. Their life has been changed by God, and they're willing to die for what they now know to be the truth. And they've learned to love their enemies. And that is supernatural. So, Jesus tells the disciples what the parables mean. And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Are you listening? You've got ears. Are you listening? You want to know the truth? I pray you do. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, for loving us when we didn't love you, for saving us when we weren't even looking to be saved. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to truly know you and love you and serve you all of our days. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.